there's a lot of things that are simple that people don't do. And, and then when you bring it up to them, like, well, that's simple and common sense. Yeah, it is. But, well, why aren't you doing it? Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without losing your soul or your mind in the process. Today, we have a special guest for you, Alec McGalliard, who is an author and has a fascinating history that we'll, I'm sure, dive a little bit more into. Alec served six years in the United States Navy Nuclear Submarine Force as a nuclear mechanical operator, which just has to be fascinating. Alec, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really excited to talk about Care to Lead today. Well, uh, so am I. And so that is the name of Alec's new book, Care to Lead. And just a little bit more about Alec. After his service in the Navy, he did 27 years uh, career in the commercial nuclear power industry and continues to serve there today. But Alec, before we dive into the book, I want to ask you a question that I ask every guest who comes on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. And that is, what is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? The earliest memory of myself as a leader is when I was in the military, actually, when I was in the Navy. Um, and you know, serving aboard a submarine, you prior to that, I'd been really in a, in a, in a learning environment for two years prior to um, being assigned to a submarine. So you really don't have much of an opportunity to lead when you're sitting in class with everyone else just trying to learn about nuclear power. But when you get assigned to a submarine, after you're there for a little while, you know, another class comes in and another group of people come in that graduated from their training. And now you're training and leading those folks, showing them the ropes, showing them how to operate the submarine, showing them what to do and what not to do, and taking on more of a leadership role. Um, that's probably my first my first memory of, of, of trying to fill that role as a leader. Fantastic. So what was one of your you know, most memorable leadership challenges uh, on the submarine? Well, as you can imagine, that that environment, uh, being uh, on a submarine, away from family, away from friends, submerged for long periods of time, there's some, some stress involved, and, and not everyone handles stress and handles situations like like that the same way. And I, I think the first challenge, really, as a leader, is not demonstrating or not letting my stress come through, um, so that it didn't negatively influence the people. Um, that that were under me or the people that were newer, the people I was trying mm-hmm. to provide leadership to, because it's very mm-hmm. easy, you know, for you to have a bad day. Um, and I, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that when a leader has a bad day, everybody can have a bad day, but when a leader has a bad day, I think it's more impactful because not only is he, is he having a bad day, he can, in, he can influence others um, into having a bad day as well. And I, I just, it's hard for a leader to recover from a bad day sometimes. So I think that was my challenge because I was stressed. I was homesick, you know, just like everyone else was. And my challenge was really just try, try not let that, try not to let that come through uh, on how I interface with folks. Mm, That's an an important principle and a a great recommendation and an early experience to have as a leader. So, you know, one of the things we try to do on this show is provide listeners with very practical ways of implementing different leadership principles. And so you just shared with us a principle of not allowing your stress to transmit to your team, which is so important. So I want to take that a little bit farther and see if you developed any 
practical ways of managing your stress or ways of, of recognizing it and not passing it on to your team. The best way I can think of to lead by example and to not let those stresses come through on a daily basis is just to try to put things into perspective on your life and, and, and look for the good things there are about your home, your family, your work situation, and always realize it, it, it could be worse and you have a lot to be grateful for. And if I approach it that way, then I can be positive sometimes in situations that are difficult and then not, you know, not influence people by my negative behavior. And one thing I'll say too is I'm pretty much a simple guy. I, I, I lead from my heart. I lead from what I think works. I try to keep it simple. Some of it does sound kind of simple and it kind of is, but there's a lot of things that are simple that people don't do. And, and then when you bring it up to them, like, well, that's simple and common sense. Yeah, it is. Well, well, why aren't you doing it? So, you know, that sounds easy. You know, just try to find the good and try to find, you know, be a, I guess, a glass half full person. And I haven't always been that kind of person, but I have evolved into it and think I really am now. The need for perspective and finding that perspective as a, as a number one skill to learn to avoid passing stress on is so vital for, for your leadership effectiveness. Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into the book then. The book is called Care to Lead, How to Master and Implement Four Keys to Leadership. And so CARE is an acronym. Why don't you run through the acronym for us? Yes, CARE is an acronym. Uh, the C stands for communication. The A in care is accountability, R is relationships, and the E is example of excellence. I'm not convinced there's one leadership model that fits every situation. You know, people are different all across the world, all across you know, the United States and the world. They come from different situations, different backgrounds, different belief systems. Um, I don't think there is one leadership model that'll fit every situation. But what I do believe is if you pro- commonly, if you, if you practice communication, accountability, relationships, and setting an example of excellence, you are going to be successful many, many more times than you're going to fail. Foundational principles. Absolutely. So let's tackle communication a little bit. What do you mean by communication? When you get practical and you're talking to leaders who are doing their their daily work, uh, what is communication all about? One of the things that I do have have been doing over the last few years um, is um, going out to other organizations and assessing their culture. Um, it's a process we use in the nuclear business because it's very important to understand um, how our employees are feeling. Um, and one of the one of the things we look at is communication, and that means how how well are people being communicated to? Is it frequent? Is it clear? Is it honest? Are there multiple settings in which in way, in way communication is occurring? Not just a formal setting, but an informal setting. And as I've traveled around the last three or four years doing these evaluations, um, we get this chart that talks about um, the, the 10 most negative responses to a survey we send out um, on these leadership traits. And of all the ones I've done in the last three years, almost every one of them, I would say, seven out of eight communication or a lack thereof is one of the top two negative responses on that survey. And I'm sure the nuclear industry isn't unlike any other. People just don't feel like they're being communicated to. So what I mean by clear communication is it has to be clear and consistent. You can't send mixed messages. You can't have different leaders um, at different levels of the organization 
sending different messages so that people are confused by by what the message is because confusion it, it can lead to a lot of things it can it can lead to folks not knowing what they're supposed to do and and even the worst thing is it can lead to a lack of trust mm-hmm. uh, the, the lack of clear communication if you're getting mixed messages from different people in the organization that are seen as leaders boy without a doubt so let's get really practical what is one thing that Let's say you're talking to a frontline or leader, frontline leader, a mid-level manager. One thing that they can do to ensure that they are communicating as clearly as what you're talking about. The, the best thing you can do is be 100% upfront and honest with people. And let me give you a great example on on, on what that looks like. So I was at a uh, I was at an organization some time back, and they had gone through a huge restructuring. There were times when decisions had not been made, but rumors had trickled out on what was or wasn't coming. And the leaders were in a position in occasion, on occasion to not be able to tell everything that they knew. In that, here, so here's a prime example, I think, of what people want, what they really want. Look, if you can tell somebody something and, and you're free to disclose it, then be 100% transparent and tell them that. Look, here's what I know exactly to be true, uh, these are the facts. If you can't, then say it. Hey, I, I'm sorry, but I cannot disclose that information right now. Uh, we're still discussing it. The final decision has not been made, but I will commit to you that as soon as I can, I will let you know. And then you come back and follow up on that. Some people might still, still might not like that. I'm, I'm not saying that's going to satisfy everybody because it won't. But at least you've been honest and you've said, I just can't tell you, but I promise I will when I can. And then you follow up on that. So I think a lot of people, sometimes people will just say, well, I don't know. So I'm not going to say anything. And you just let rumors run rampant. And then you spend more time squelching the rumor than you would, than you would have if you were just communicating clearly to begin with. So that's a real practical thing that happens everywhere. But a lot of people they just won't say anything if they don't know anything and just let it fester. And that's not helping anyone. And then I think you touched on an important point, which is the follow-up of as soon as I do have something to tell you, you can count on me to share it. And all of that that you're talking about there, boy, does that build trust. Absolutely. When you, when you go back and you follow up with someone and say, Hey, I told you I'd come back and tell you, I just found out about this and here's what I know that, right there is is trust and when you don't do that it it erodes trust and trust is extremely hard to repair um, once it started to eat been eaten away a little bit well let's uh, let's move to the second letter in the acronym there um, about accountability and so you know the notion of accountability is one I think that most leaders struggle with in different ways either they come across too forceful or they're not practicing enough accountability um, Give us a picture of what accountability means in your framework. You made a good point there that uh, new leaders often struggle with accountability, not knowing, you know, I, this is, I'm the new sheriff in town, my way or the highway, or just kind of wanting to be the cool guy, letting everybody kind of do what they want to and not, you know, not hold people accountable. I talk about in my book the importance of establishing that up front. Um, one thing I'll also say about the book real quick before I get into accountability is I try to make a tie in the book on how these things relate to each other. So when I talk, when I think about, when you think about accountability, think about what helps with accountability. 
Well, one thing that helps with accountability is communication. Because if people aren't communicated to and they don't know what they're being held accountable to or for or what standard they're being held, account, held, held accountable to, then it's awful hard to be accountable because you don't know what the standard is. So that kind of goes back to the communication piece. You have to clearly communicate what you're holding someone accountable to. So I try to make these ties in the book, how they interrelate with each other and tie back and forth. But the other thing I'll say about accountability, and I, I really believe this, and I, I'll hopefully I won't sound like a broken record. I, I believe that most people actually want to be held accountable. Most people, especially if they care about their career, if they want to move up or they want to be seen as a valued employee, they want to be held accountable because otherwise they, they won't know what they need to do. And an, an organization that is, that hasn't established a, a clear accountability model or, or accountability process, um, not only will the individual suffer, their performance will suffer because they don't know what to do. The organization will then suffer and that has an impact on everyone. You know, accountability tells your employee, your team members that you value their work. You know, if, if you're not holding somebody accountable and they're working next to somebody who's working really hard, that person who's working really hard, the message you're sending is, hey, I don't really value how hard you're working because I'm not holding the other person accountable either. So, Alec, let's take a, a real-life situation here about accountability that um, – it's a real-life situation about accountability that happens frequently where you've got a high performer, somebody who is contributing a lot to the, the team, but there are other aspects of their performance. Maybe they're a bully. Maybe the interpersonal skills are lousy, you know, whatever it is. And it's, it's caustic and it's eroding confidence in the team, but there's a lot of pressure to keep this person because they're such a high performer. How do you practice accountability in those kinds of settings? The way you communicate with people and the method in which you, you, you talk to people in tough situations, um, I think is essential in a situation like this. But the bottom line is you, you, you've got to have the leadership courage to have a conversation. And you've got to start that conversation off in a non-threatening, non-accusatory way, just sticking to the facts and saying, hey, Here's what I'm seeing. Here's here's how I see your interaction. Here's how you're, you're damaging the relationships with the other with your coworkers, and you've got to get it out on the table. And you've also got to be able to willing to listen. That's another element of the communication part is listening to their feedback as well. But you also have to make it clear that yes, you are a top performer. You're incredibly important to this organization. But here's how you're impacting others. And you're going to be held accountable or accountable for that. And the way to do that is clearly set up some kind of some kind of a, a touch point on on maybe every every month. Let's get back together and I'll give you feedback. Set up a way to close the loop. Don't just have one conversation and hope everything's going to be hunky dory without some kind of follow up. Because you have to have a follow up and continuous dialogue. And what that will do is a couple things. It'll make communications clear. It'll be sure that the person understands what they're being held account accountable to. And if you're fair and consistent, it'll help with the R in care to lead relationships, which will help build that relationship. So it's not an easy situation. There's not one simple way to, to cure that. Because like you said, this individual is important to the organization. They're a high performer. They get a lot done. You certainly don't want to lose them 
but you can't tolerate that behavior and you have to let them know that. What a great process you just walked everyone through there, Alec. Really appreciate that. And um, that's one that was one that's worth rewinding and listening to again, you know, use your, your back button and take another look at that because if you haven't had that situation as a leader, almost guarantee you're going to. And how you approach that conversation, the fact that you do approach the conversation and that you're willing to have it makes a tremendous, tremendous difference. If, if I could, I'd share one. Ex- I had a similar experience one time. It wasn't that the person was bullying. I'll be honest, when I first became a, a I guess I stepped up from a supervisor to a manager, I had a person that worked for me that is incredibly intelligent and is a, a well-respected person, not just at our site but in the industry, in this certain area. And to be honest with you, I was a little intimidated by his knowledge of an area that I was managing, but he was over, he was, he was, he was, he owned the area, was responsible for the implementation of it. But I was the manager over that group and several other, other individuals. I was kind of intimidated by him on occasion um, and was reluctant sometimes to push back and hold him accountable for things because I was a little intimidated. And ultimately it was the craziest thing I, I ultimately realized that one day, I think I was just driving to work one morning and, and like, you know, this is ridiculous. I've just got to sit down and have a conversation and we had the best conversation. And I was just a hundred percent honest with him and told him that said, Hey man, you know, sometimes you come off, you know, you're very, your knowledge of the subject is so depth, so deep. You come off as kind of, of, of you, you're beyond reproach because you're such an expert and it, it's, it was a little intimidating to me. We had a conversation and it has been just the best relationship since then. And it took, I don't know what thing clicked in my head one day other than this is crazy. I'm just going to sit down and have a conversation with the guy. He's incredibly intelligent and smart. And it, it's amazing how much just having that conversation helped the situation. Hmm. What a fantastic example. Thank you for that. You know, uh, you touch on something in, care to lead on this notion of accountability that uh, we are big believers in here at, at Let's Grow Leaders. And the idea that when you do have to terminate, that you can do that with dignity and grace. Can you touch on that for us a bit? When I talk about it, sometimes I, I catch myself talking about how, how difficult it was to do as the person that had to go tell someone that they were selected for a reduction in force. But then I catch myself and I'm like, wait a second, they're the ones that got reduced in force, not me. Mm-hmm. I just had to go tell them. They're the ones that were really impacted. But we went through that situation several years back where we had a reduction in force and the way it worked, my boss at the time, um, I actually didn't have anyone reporting to me. I was a supervisor. I didn't have anyone reporting to me at the time that had been selected for a reduction in force, but other people in our department had been. And um, the manager of the department decided that even though some supervisors didn't have anyone selected for a reduction in force, they needed to participate. Um, to go out and tell folks that, Hey, you've been selected. So I knew the individual I had worked with him. It just wasn't, he didn't report directly to me. And I talk about this in the book, like you said, um, it kind of goes to the golden rule and to accountability. The way you treat people in difficult situations, there may be some naysayers that say, well, you can't practice the golden rule. Um, you treat people like you want to be treated when, when you, when you lay somebody off, because that's not how you would want to be treated. Well, well, you're right. And if that's your interpretation of the golden rule, then, then so be it. But mine is, how do you treat people in that situation? You treat them with dignity, with respect, with empathy, and you talk to them like a human being and you listen to them and you understand what they're going through. You don't just turn off your emotion 
like some people can and just be all business. I, I, I can't do that. Right, wrong, or indifferent. I can't take the emotion and the relationships out of a situation like that because I can see how the how the, it hurts the person. Mm-hmm. I can't just cut it off and be all business. That's this is not me. So, you know, and even and you were using a, the example of a reduction in force where they really haven't done anything wrong. But even if you are having to terminate for cause, the same principles apply, don't they? Absolutely. I've never been terminated. Knock on wood. So imagine the worst thing would be terminated and not really understand why. You know, you can you imagine just going home and 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 you lost your job and your and people. So so with that, I would be, I, I would want to be treated like I would want to clearly understand what happened, even if I didn't necessarily agree with it. At least I would understand what happened. So if you're in that situation, you have to terminate someone for calls. Then I say you. Lay it out. Here's what happened. Here are the facts. Hopefully you've done a good job at documenting if it was a, over a long period of time or if it was a one-time occasion that met the threshold for termination in your organization and that's just the way it is. You're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a non-negotiable. Then you have to be clear, concise with facts, but you can still show some humanity and, and treat people like you want to be treated in that situation. Absolutely. In the book, you talk about a story uh, where your wife was ill and some of the leadership that you experienced in that moment. And I would just love if you could share that with our listeners. When that happened, and just put everybody at ease, my wife is great. You know, what an incredible, what incredible fortune we have to have you know, been able to work for a company that had, had a, a healthcare plan. And, and we live, you know, close to the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, that is just one of the world leaders in cancer uh, research and, and, and curing folks. So what a blessing to be close enough to that, to be able to get that world-class treatment. And she's, she's good to go. But at the time that happened, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't in a really good place at work. I was in a position that I really was struggling with a little bit. Um, I didn't see a path ahead. Um, I had actually considered leaving the organization I was with at the time. I did some, done some initial searching to try to see if I could find another position. Um, I wasn't in a good place. Um, but when that happened and my wife was diagnosed, um, I, I went to my, my boss at the time and said, and explained the situation and said, here, here's what the next, you know, 18 months looks like, you know, it's, uh, a very challenging schedule with surgeries and chemotherapy and radiation and, and the side effects of all of that. And, you know, driving an hour and 20 minutes each way to the hospital. And I said, that that's, that's what my next 18 months looks like. I, I still was very career career oriented and still am. Um, and I wondered how I could manage that. Um, the, the, the demands of my job, which was probably, you know, 14 hour a day, you know, the average day, um, and then still take care of my wife and my two kids that were um, 13 and I probably actually got 15 and uh, 12 at the point at that point, roughly. And I, I, to be honest with you, when I went and talked to my boss, I did not have the courage. I did not say I, I want to be removed from this management position because I don't think I can do it. I was partially thinking, how's this going to help? How's this going to impact my career, my next step up? And that leadership team acknowledged the challenge of the position I was in with both professionally and personally. And 
they called me back and said, look, Alec, you know, we, we, we need to give you a position where you can take care of your family and you can, we can give you some flexibility in your work schedule so that you can go do the things you need to do and still provide value to the station because you, 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 to the organization because you are a valued employee. And that just, I, I remember those words coming out of, of the person I reported to at the time's mouth. And I, I don't know what my face looked like, but I, I remember just the weight of the world being lifted off my shoulders and thinking how, looking back on it, how incredibly grateful I was to those folks that made that decision to allow me to focus on, on my family and still be a value-added employee um, to the organization. You know, and, you know, some of the words they use, you know, you got to pay this forward. If you're ever in the situation again, and or if you're ever in the situation where someone that reports to you is in this situation, look back on it and think about this and pay it forward if it ever comes down to it. What, what a fantastic example. I mean, I'm so glad to hear that your wife is doing well, but thank you for sharing that with us. I'm curious, have you had a chance in your career since to pay that forward? Fortunately not. Um, I've never had one in someone in that tough of a situation um, where I had to like reassign them to give them a different position. Um, but, you know, on, on smaller things, I guess on a much smaller scale, yes, you recognize someone struggling with something, you know, um, recognizing that they need uh, a little extra, Hey, you know, I'm really, I, I need to take an extra day off here or when it might've challenged, um, some work that was going on, but you recognized that this was bigger than the work that was going on at the plant and that that could be, that could be managed. Well, I want to invite all of our listeners to consider paying that forward themselves. We will all have those opportunities to practice compassion and uh, in a way that helps people understand how much we value them and keeps them contributing and, you know, and Alec, I'm sure you were doing good work along the way. You were questioning whether it was the right place for you or not. But, um, you know, that's such a powerful example. And there's no reason all of us can't be doing that for other, other people. Uh, Alec, thank you so much for sharing Care to Lead with us, how to master and implement four keys to leadership, communication, accountability, relationships, and example of excellence. And can you tell us where to find Care to Lead? Yes, sir. Uh, Care to Lead is available on Amazon. It's available on paperback and on Kindle. Fantastic. And if people want to learn more about you, where would they go? My website is um, mcgalliardconsulting.com, and that is M-C-G-A-L-L-I-A-R-D consulting.com. And on the website, we talk about the book. I actually have a five-minute video um, that I put together introducing um, Care to Lead. Um, and it's right there on the first page of the website. You can click right on it and, and, and listen to the video. And it talks about um, what McGowan Consulting is all about. And also ha it also has a link to the Amazon page if you want to go buy the book from, from the website. That is Alec McGalliard. His book is Care to Lead, How to Master and Implement Four Keys to Leadership, Communication, Accountability, Relationships, and Example of Excellence. Alec, thanks again so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience and all those years in the submarine and in the, the nuclear industry as well. Uh, and thank you for your service as well. Thank you very much. It's been an honor to be on. I really appreciate the opportunity. And now it's time to answer your questions. I would love to answer your leadership or management related question. And there are two ways you can send it to me. Either email david.die at letsgrowleaders.com 
or you can go over to leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com and you'll find an orange button where you can record your question, let us know where you're from, and we can possibly use that on a future episode. Love to hear from you, so send in your question. It can be about a past episode or just anything that is leadership or management related that's happening in your world. Today's question comes to us from Amy, who lives in Dallas, Texas. And Amy's question is with regard to the recent episode on leading meetings that get results. David, I love all the suggestions you gave for leading productive meetings, and in particular, the suggestion to recognize who owns the decision before you get into discussion was very helpful. Thank you. My question, however, is what about the meetings I'm not leading? I go to so many meetings that are those soul-sucking wastes of time, as you say. I'm wondering if there's anything that I can do to help those meetings be more effective, even though I'm not leading them. Thanks in advance. Amy, I really appreciate your question, and I'm so glad to hear the episode was helpful for you. And the good news is that it absolutely can be every bit as helpful, even if you're not leading the meeting. In fact, if you are attending a meeting and you see that it's not clear who owns the decision or the discussion between where are we going or how are we going to get there is being mixed up or it's the end of the meeting and everyone's getting to ready to leave and there hasn't been that confirmation of who's doing what by when and how will we know, you can raise your hand and take responsibility and produce a better meeting for everyone by doing those things. So, meeting is getting started, you're getting ready to go into discussion, but it's not clear who owns the meeting or who owns the decision. You raise your hand. Hey, I'm wondering, how is this decision going to be made? Are we voting here or do you need to hear from all of us and then you're going to make the decision or are we kicking a recommendation up to some other people? Um, How is that going to work? When you ask that, if the person hasn't thought it through already, it gives them an opportunity to do that. And if they know, but they just haven't said it, in saying it, you have now helped everybody at the meeting know how to participate, know what they need to be thinking about, and you have been very influential. You've been a leader in the meeting, even if you didn't have the positional title of leader. You can do the same thing if you're watching a meeting and discussion is becoming muddled and people are getting frustrated. Take a look and see if the questions of where you are going versus how you're going to get there have gotten mixed up. And if they have, once again, raise your hand. Say, you know, it seems to me that we have two different questions going on here, where we're trying to go and then how we're going to get there. And if I think if we can nail down where we're going first, that might be helpful. Now, whether or not that is adopted by the group or by the leader, you don't have full control over. But again, you have had the opportunity, you've been influential, and it gives people a chance to have a more productive meeting. And finally, at the end of the meeting, same opportunity. If people are getting ready to wrap up and they haven't clearly identified who's doing what, by when, and how will we know, raise your hand, take responsibility for it. Hey, listen, I just want to make sure I've got this straight. So Joe's going to be doing this, and then Damon's going to do that. Sheila and I are going to take all of that, and then we're going to produce this. Do I have that right? And in doing that, you will have provided clarity for everybody, you've helped everybody to be more productive, and you've made it much more likely there's going to be accountability and follow-through on the discussion you just had. 
Amy, thanks again for the question. And I look forward to answering your questions, so send those in. I want to thank Alec McGalliard for being our guest today. And remember, leadership doesn't have to be complicated. Really enjoyed Alec's reminders that it's about relationship and connection, about making sure that you're communicating clearly and that you're holding people accountable for the commitments that they've made. Those foundational principles never get old, and yet sometimes they're the most challenging to do consistently every day. Thanks for listening, and until next time, be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.